In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Throughout each day, all of us make little shifts in our roles and responsibilities. We take off one hat and put on another. Sometimes these shifts are physical, as when we commute from home to the office. Other times, these shifts are mental, as when we finish working on an administrative task, start working on a creative one. My guest calls these little shifts micro-transitions and says that mastering them is a significant key in living a happy, fulfilled, and successful life. His name is Dr. Adam Frazier, and he's a peak performance researcher and the author of The Third Space. As Adam explains, in each microtransition, there are three spaces. The first space, which is the task, role, or place you're leaving behind. The second space, which is the task, role, or place you're transitioning to. And the third space, which is the in-between transition itself. To make an ideal microtransition, you break that third space into three phases. And Adam walks us through how to execute each one so you can show up as your best self in the second space. We talk about how to make micro transitions between different work roles. It's been a lot of our conversation on how to improve the micro transition between work and home, even if you work from home, so you can arrive ready to engage with your family. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awim.is slash third space. All right, Dr. Adam Frazier, welcome to the show. Hey, Brett, good to be here. I'm coming in from a very sunny Sydney right now. Sunny but cold. Oh, yeah, it's winter down there. Yeah, and we've had quite the winter. It's been very cold for us. Well, it's really hot here in Oklahoma where I'm at. I can imagine. So uh, you are a researcher who researches peak performance and uh, you've got a couple books out, and you got one out that I really enjoyed and found really, really useful. It's called The Third Space, Using Life's Little Transitions to Find Balance and Happiness. I want to start off with this question. When most people talk about finding balance, I think everyone's trying to find balance between their personal and work lives. What's the typical approach that you found that people take when they're trying to find that balance? Yeah, I think the problem... From our research, the problem is everyone looks at time as the metric for balance. And what was interesting is I came into balance as a performance researcher. So it was a new area for me. But one of the problems I noticed in the research is it all focuses on the individual, like what's balanced for you? How would you get balanced? You know, it's we went, we're going to do something different where we started to interview families about balance. So we sat people down and said, right, if your mom, dad, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, partner, whoever that person you lived with was, if they found balance, what would be different? And what families said 
They said, you know, we get the emails, we get the phone calls, we get that that's part of your job now. But what most families said is what we don't get is you come through that door and you're a jerk. Like you come through that door and you take your day out on us or you come through that door and see us as an inconvenience that gets in the way of work. So what family said, balance isn't when you show up, it's how you show up. And what they talked about is balance is about connection. And I think that's the biggest mistake we make. We think, when am I showing up, not how am I showing up? So that was probably the big learning for me. Okay. So yeah, when we think about balance, we think about this scale and we're putting time on the scale. And one of the big reasons people want balance is to improve relationships in their life. But what you're saying, what people say they want from their loved ones isn't so much that time balance. But what they want instead, they want their loved ones to be engaged and present when they're with them. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, we're focusing on men here, what kids want is come home, be playful, be stupid, be, you know, like build a fort with me, you know, or, or, or do some sort of activity with me. And, you know, like for years I thought I had bad balance because I travel a lot, you know, I fly a lot and, and I'm all over the place. Whereas some of my mates who I grew up with have jobs where they're home every night. But you know, when I compared myself to them, they're often just watching TV or cruising around or doing work. When I'm at home, and this has taken a lot of work, but I'd say I'm a real rock star, meaning I'm the fun dad, I'm really engaged, I'm super present. So even though I'm not there as much as some of my mates are, man, my interactions are, are seriously quality. Okay. So in the third space, you make the case that instead of thinking about finding balance in our lives with time on a balancing beam, we should instead think of our daily lives as a series of micro transitions. Yeah. So what is a micro transition? Well, micro transitions are those little transitions we make where we move from one thing to another. So, you know, before doing this podcast, I had a coaching call with a CEO. So I'm working with a leadership team and I'm talking to the CEO about adopting better behavior. So I've had an interaction where I've had to go and tell a guy who's super senior that he's falling down in these three areas. So I've had to be super empathetic, really careful with my words. Now I'm talking to you and, you know, having this great fun interaction. And then after this, I've got to have a hard conversation with a staff member. So our day is basically we move between different spaces and the micro transitions are those little transitional gaps of how do we prepare ourselves for the next thing? So how do I come down after this podcast? Cause I find this stuff fun. And how do I then go into a meeting with a staff member and have a really careful, empathetic conversation? So these micro transitions are just where we move from one thing to the next. Okay. So a space can be, it can be a physical space, a transition from office to home, but it's also, and I really like this idea you're saying that this can also just be about switching roles, right? Uh, it can be a mental space. Yeah, Totally. I think you nailed that and really described that beautifully of it can be physical, it can be mental. So for example, last night, a mate of mine's in hospital and I drove a long way to go see him. And then as I was driving home, my wife called me and went, your children. And that's the line. Like when she says your children, I know something's gone wrong. (laughs) And, And she said, your children are driving me crazy. 
and this has gone on, that's gone on. So then I went, all right, when I transition home, I've got to really support her. So I've got to go from being playful and jokey with my best mate to, okay, I've got to go home. I've got to be empathetic. I've got to be caring. I've got to meet her needs. So you know, that's much more of a mental shift of, well, how do I need to show up? And then as, because these are called micro transitions, these transitions happen, can happen in the same place. So at work, you're just talking about, you know, you were talking to one client who had a specific set of needs, and then you're going to transition to another, you know, maybe an interview on a podcast. Yeah. Then that requires a specific type of presence. And then you might transition to, uh, I got to do the budget and that requires certain things. So yeah, this it's just all about transitioning from roles to different types of mental space. And that's, I think when I, that idea really helped me understand some of the problems that I, I've run into as well in my own work where I'd bring stuff over from one mental space that I was at to the next and it just, it can mess things up. Yeah, beautiful. I loved what you just said then. Because look, one thing in our research is what we found is people aren't aware of them. Like they're aware of them, but they're not conscious of them. And they don't really think about, well, how am I moving from one thing to another? So as you just said, so often we bring the mood and mindset of the previous thing into the next thing, right? So you might have a bad day, you take it home. Or you might have a meeting with a, a client where they chew you out and tell you, hey, I'm unhappy with this. And then you go meet with your team and you take it out on them. So what this is, is how do I get over what I've just done? But also, how am I showing up for the next thing? And what does that require of me? And I screwed this up the other day. You talk about when things go bad. One of my staff hadn't got back to a client and it had been three or four days and I went into my team meeting realizing, hey, that client hasn't got back to, you know, hasn't got a reply from us. So I went into this meeting and I'm annoyed and I'm frustrated and I'm angry. And I brought this thing up about four times to that person who's responsible for it. And I kept writing them. And later on, my staff pulled me aside and said, hey, you're a real jerk in that meeting. And you went, too far and you got to apologize. And I went, oh, you're so right. So I had to sit down with the person and say, hey, you know, I was out of line in that meeting. But the problem was I carried the frustration of the task into the meeting. And yeah, it, yeah, I've repaired the relationship now, but it did damage. Okay. So we might be aware that these micro transitions are happening. The problem that we have is that we're not proactive about managing the transitions that happen throughout the day. And I thought it was really interesting in the book, you talk about what we can learn from soldiers transitioning from combat to civilian life about the importance of proactively managing our day-to-day transitions. So what have you found there? Yeah, that's it's interesting you brought that up and it shows you d- you've done your research because what really kicked this off was just a series of interactions And one of the first was I was doing some work with some special forces soldiers who just are amazing. And I got, you know, friendly with some of them. And I said, hey, like, what's the biggest challenge you face as a special forces soldier? And I was thinking, you know, not die or or how do I complete a, a mission successfully? And all of them went, oh, man, coming home from being deployed. And I said, like, what do you mean? 
and they go, oh, just, I don't know what goes on, but I come home and I just kind of fight with, you know, my partner and, and it's, there's just a lot of tension in the home and it settles down after a couple of weeks, but the first couple of weeks are really shaky. And I just went, oh, that's fascinating. And when I started to talk to people, what they said was, well, one of them that did it well, he said, a psychologist once told me that how am I using the plane ride home to adapt my behavior to suit my family? Because while I've been away for six months, things have changed. And too often those soldiers would walk in and go, well, I'm just going to slip back into my old role and I'm kind of going to run the joint. And the family's like, no, we've been doing fine since you've been away. And what this psychologist said to him is, how do you adapt to your environment rather than how do they adapt to you? And this soldier said, when I thought about how am I going to fit back in and how am I going to like, you know, change my behavior, he said that first two weeks was great. And so this was one of the first interactions that got me thinking about transitions. So, okay, every microtransition you say consists of a first space, and so that's the environment or the mental space we find ourselves in right now. Yep. Then there's the second space, and that's the role or environment or mental space we're going to be transitioning to. So it could be first space is office, second space is home. And then the third space, which is the name of your book, is the space between first and second where you yep. proactively decide how you're going to show up in that second space. So what does a third space look like? I mean, what are examples of it? So if a third space, we've been talking about this, a third space could be both an environment, a physical environment and a mental space. How do we create third spaces for ourselves in our daily lives? What we looked at in our research is what is the perfect transition? And the perfect transition, whether it's, you know, the first space is I'm meeting with a client, the second space is I'm meeting with a new prospect, right? So it's, it's all these spaces. So the perfect third space has three components, which is reflect, rest, reset. So reflect is how do I reflect on what just happened and how do I shut it down? So this is all about like, how do I perceive what just went on? And am I carrying, you know, angst or a negative mindset forward. So the first part is how do I shut down that space I'm leaving? The second part is the rest phase, which is how do I become present? And this is all about just focusing your mind on the moment. And too often we go into the next space and our head's all over the shop. We're worrying about three meetings ago or we're predicting disaster So this rest phase is just, can I become present? And then the final part is the reset piece, which is how am I about to show up to this thing and how do I need to show up to get the best out of this next interaction? So, you know, that last piece, that reset is almost like, you know, people talk about athletes visualizing performance and what we're doing is the exact same thing. So I'm about to go into a meeting with a client. I know they're frustrated about this. I know that they're going to ask questions about, you know, the last delivery or whatever it is. You're anticipating. If I'm about to go in to have a hard conversation with a staff member, they're probably feeling threatened, 
they're feeling scared or they're uncertain, how do I show up and adapt to that to help that person listen to the hard conversation I've got to do? So it's those three parts, reflect, rest, reset. And look, obviously the context affects how much of and how many of them you can do. But it's those three phases. Okay, so third space doesn't necessarily have to be a physical space. It could be, but it can just be a mental thing you do as you transition from one thing to the next. It can be really fast too. Yeah, uh, totally. It can be super instantaneous of say you're just doing admin at your desk, all of a sudden you've got some sort of crisis. So what you have to like very quickly, really in that moment, all you're doing is the reset of how do I have to show up for this? So I've got this crisis, I've got this problem, forget, reflect and rest because I don't have time to reflect and I'm so focused on this thing. I don't need the rest phase, but it's all about what am I bringing to this? So there is a context piece. And look, even, you know, I spoke to an executive the other day and he's got a global role. And he said, I would go home on the phone. I get out of the car. I walk in the house. I'm still on the phone. My kids run up to hug me and I'm literally pushing them off. My wife mouths to me, get off the phone and speak. spend time with your children. I go, shut up. I'm talking to the US. And he said, it's a disaster. Like, of course, I'm going to have a bad interaction because that's my transition into the home. He said, when I heard your talk, all I did was that reset piece. So I finished the call in the car. And after I hang up the phone, I do a little breathing activity to calm myself. And then I think, all right, what sort of dad do I want to be when I walk through that door? What sort of partner? So he's already arrived physically, but he's just changing his mentality. In the book, the examples of people creating third spaces mentally on the fly because they have to make a transition fast. The ones that really stood out to me were the ones where you talk to doctors who they're seeing lots of patients on a daily basis. So each patient is a new space. Yeah. And you talk about how one patient they might be talking to and they've they've got terminal cancer. Right. And so and it's just and it's terrible. Like they feel bad. But then they have to move to the next patient who has, you know, maybe a problem. It's, you know, maybe their cholesterol is a little bit high and they're really worried about it and they're anxious. And, you know, it's tempting for these doctors to be like, oh my gosh, this is not a problem. Like you could have cancer. I just talked to a guy who has cancer. But the doctor has to make that third space transition. It's like, no, for this patient who has high cholesterol, it's important to them. Yeah. So how can I use this third space to kind of put aside what happened to that person that I dealt with who has cancer and put all my attention on this person who's got maybe slightly elevated cholesterol? Yeah. Oh, Brad, I love that you brought up that example. It's such a beautiful one. And one doctor in particular like he said, we're human beings. And and he said, the problem is often we bring judgment to the interaction, which is, it's just high cholesterol. Get over yourself. Stop being so emotional. But he said, that's a terrible way to show up for a patient. And his reset is as each patient comes in or as he walks into the room, he thinks, if this was my mother or father, how would I want a doctor to treat them? So he literally does this every time he walks into the room. And he said, I actually hold the door handle and I pause, I take a deep breath, and I think that thought and I walk in. And he said, I give better bedside manner, I give better service. And one of the things about the third space, that piece of how am I showing up? Am I showing up with judgment? Am I showing up and I've already 
played the tape forward where I go, oh, they'll probably say this and then they'll do that. And we've already created this bad interaction. That's what this piece is about is how do we be adaptable in the way we show up and affect the people around us? Okay. So a third space has this uh, reflect, rest, and reset part. And I hope we can dig into some of these things a little bit more. You have like these great questions that, that we can you can ask yourself in each of these phases of the third space. Third space can be just completely mental. It's just It can be fast, it can happen in a matter of seconds. But I like the examples you give that you can expand out this third space to really help you make that transition from one role to the next. And you can actually create like a physical third space. You can go through this process. What are some examples that you found in your research of people who made physical third spaces for themselves so that they could transition from the first space to the second space? Yeah. I mean, we had, we had one, the one that makes me laugh the most is, and this was one of the things that really started this concept is I had dinner with a CEO. So I was working with this group and the CEO invited me for dinner and I went over and I'm interacting with him and his family. And I was just, I was in awe of this guy. He was so present and so funny and fun with his family. And I just sat there the whole time going, man, that's how I want to be when I'm at home. And I said, how do you transition from psycho businessman to super dad? And what he talked about is that he actually built a new entrance into his home. <laughs> like, and I know this is not something everyone can do, but just hear me out. So he, what he did is that he parks the car in his garage he has built a door from the garage straight to his bedroom. And he said, I, I park the car, I go through that door into my room. And he said, I'm not allowed to talk to anyone. He said, the kids know, don't run into the room, don't come and see me because dad's you know, changing gears. He said, I go into my room, I take off my suit. He said, I have a shower and visually I kind of wash the day away. And then he said, I put on casual clothes and I do this kind of little relaxation thing that only takes two minutes. And he said, then I go greet the family. And he said, I lose 15 minutes, but the state I'm in is so worth it. So that's obviously an extreme one. You know, some other third spaces that I can think of have just been, God, what have other people done? There's so many examples. You know, for me, how I use it is at the end of the day. So when I finish work, I grab my dog Tilly. My two daughters come with me for a walk to the dog park, which is down the end of the street. So this is what I'll be doing today. My wife gets an hour to herself. So we're out for an hour. She gets time to herself. So we go to the dog park. We let Tilly off. We're outside. We're running around because my daughters are really active and I might like tackle them into the grass and we're just being idiots, right? And then we walk home. And as I walk through that door, I think to myself, how many more days like this do I have? Because, you know, I, I don't know if you're a parent, but the cliched thing is they, the, people say it goes fast, man. They do not exaggerate. It goes in a blink of an eye. And as I walk through the door, I think, how many more days will my daughters want to come with me for the walk, you know, before it starts to be, oh, dad's not cool anymore? And I just think, you know, don't ruin this. Don't take this for granted. So my third space is that. Now, look, if I'm flying home late, I'll do it in the car. But, you know, so the beautiful thing about this concept is we take it and make it suit our 
life and our world. And it's about, here's how I'm going to apply that in my situation. There's not like, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's take the concept and make it suit your world. Yeah, some other examples of physical third spaces that people use to go through this reflect, rest, and reset process. The commute is a perfect example where you're driving yeah. from work back to home. You can go through that and prepare yourself for that second space of being home. Going to the gym was another one before they get home. Like they stop at the gym, yeah. get a workout on, and then perfect they, one. Yeah, they put their like their dad clothes or their home clothes on. So they're not coming in their office clothes. And then, I mean, you can even do this at work, I imagine, like if you're transitioning from, say, administrative work to creative work. You could have a space where you go, where you, I'm putting off administrative brain and I'm putting, going into creative mode. Like I'll sit at my desk when I'm doing what I call doodads. And this is just administrative work to keep the business going. But then there's a spot on the couch where I like to sit to do my writing. And by moving between places in the house that I work, that helps me transition from one kind of work task to another. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents, to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. 
Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best, become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Okay, so uh, third space, it can be mental, it can be physical, but what we're doing is we're trying to do these three phases of the third space, which is reflect, rest, and reset. And we've kind of talked about how you can do this uh, a bit, but I want to go a little deeper. So with this reflect, are there any specific questions you found really useful when you're reflecting about what happened in that first space? Space environment that you're in that can help you get ready for that second space environment? Yeah, hey, that's a great question because um, what we found is when we ask people to reflect on what they've just done, our natural tendency is to look at what was bad about it. So when they would reflect on their workday, they go, oh my gosh, I forgot that email. When am I fitting that in? That project's still not done. Oh, my God. And what they had was this really cynical bias when they reflected. Now, one of the things we noticed about special forces soldiers is every time they debrief an activity, they would ask themselves the questions, you know, what went well about that? What did we achieve? How did we improve? And I said to some of them, why do you do those questions? And they said, look, we're so hardwired to look at what's wrong like that is our natural default. So we did an exercise. What do we need to improve? What was bad? You know, what went wrong then? Or what caused that mistake? They said that's our natural default. But those questions about what went well, what did I improve? How did I get better? That focuses us on progress and evolution. And I thought that's just so interesting. And what we inserted in that reflect phase were those three questions. You know, what went well today? And no matter how bad a day you've had, something's gone well. What did you achieve? We always achieve something. And how did I improve? How did I evolve? Was my leadership better? Or did I collaborate with this group? And what we found in that reflect phase is that when people answer those questions at the end of the day, what happens is they get a burst of happiness and the mindset they take home is more optimistic. So that reflect phase is about 
is that reflection balanced or is it just looking at mistakes? And you talk about like if we get a bit deeper, we've had some organisations like a, a, a cancer charity expanded this and they went, oh, our challenge is that we often hear devastating news and we take that home because, you know, they can go through some full-on stuff when they're dealing with kids with cancer. And what they set up was a whiteboard and as people left the workday, they had to write up, here's something I did really well today or here's something that was great about the day. And as people leave, they read the comments and write their thing up. And all it does is just gives their mood a little boost. Yeah, like focusing on the wins because I think what it sounds like it's doing, it's sort of decontaminating the uh, yeah, the negative and, uh, so that you can transition. So you don't have that, you don't have that spillover into the second space. Yeah, and it's not being the Pollyanna delusional optimist of we won't talk about the hard things or we won't talk about mistakes. Like you still got to have those hard conversations. But reflect is just, is my reflection balanced? Or am I just beating myself up or I'm just focusing on all the bad things? So it's not, yeah, sometimes I worry about sort of delusional motivation or or, or being the Pollyanna optimist. It's just, am I balanced in my reflection? Because we found most people weren't. Yeah, I can see if you had something really bad happen at work and you think, well, that didn't go well, but I, I, handled, the, I handled the situation the best I could. And that's a win, right? I mean, you're still recognizing that what happened was really crappy, but you recognize, you know, I did pretty well handling the situation um, and maybe you still made some progress. Yeah, and I might have fell on my face but man, at least I stepped up and I took a swing. Like that can be the reflection. Or as you pointed out, yeah, that didn't go as well as I'd hoped, but I think I did that well. Or when that client objected to that issue, yeah, I think I answered that question really, really well. So yeah, it's about finding the little nuggets of improvement and gold in that rather than just going, oh, that was a disaster or God, I'm hopeless. That's what we're talking about. Okay, so uh, that's reflect. So you're reflecting on what happened in the first case and you want to kind of, you want to have a balanced view of it because we tend to go negative. That's our default as human beings is to think negatively, but uh, balance it with by thinking about the wins that happened. The next part is rest and that's all about being present. And I think you mentioned it could be as simple as just taking a breath, you know, sort of doing a quick meditation. What are some other things you found that are useful in this rest part? Yeah, well, as you pointed out, like the objective is how do I become present and how do I calm my brain? Obviously, breathing, meditation is the ultimate. And some people, you know, I'm thinking about one guy, (laughs) he said, he sent me an email, he goes, I've operationalized the third space. He said, I get the bus home from the city. I set a calendar alert to ask me those three questions. He said, I'm already looking at my phone on the bus. Those three questions come up, they ask, uh, I answer them in my head. And the rest phase, he said, I've got a mindfulness app on my phone. He said, I've already got headphones in. I put the app on. I'm on the bus. I close my eyes. I do that. Look, some people talk about exercise as their rest. And the thing is, you know, going to the gym, exercising where you're focusing on a task, really, really brilliant. Oh, this is interesting, is people who rode a a bicycle home or rode a motorbike, that rest is taken care of. And what they said is that the days I ride to work, 
I show up better at home. And the reason is that if you're riding a motorbike or a bicycle, you've got to be so focused, you can't think about anything else. So it's forced focus. And so you're not riding home ruminating about the day or thinking, oh, I should have done that better. You're, you're looking out for cars or you're being hypervigilant. And what that does is just focuses your brain. Look, um, one thing we did, uh, you know, I live in Sydney and one of the things we have is just the most beautiful harbour on earth. It's just heaven. And we noticed people that got the ferry home were much happier in the home environment. And if you look at that transition, they're on water, so they're, they're literally being rocked. So it's calming them, that rocking motion of the boat on the water. They're looking at one of the best views in the world and they've got like, you know, because it's very beautiful, there's lots of trees and lots of nature. So they're in nature, they're being rocked and they're appreciating beauty, which makes them present. Those people, man, they, they arrived home so happy they were dangerous. So there's so many things we can do in that rest phase about calming us. Okay. So I like that. So it can be just do what works for you. So uh, the simple breath activity exercise might be useful if you are, you have to make a, a really fast micro transition, maybe just a matter yeah. of seconds. But then if you've got some time, you can expand this out and it might be a walk or it could be exercise or it could be even just a simple change. I mean, I've always liked the saying change is a rest. So maybe doing something with your hands or, you know, all sorts of things could work. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's limited by your imagination. So let's talk about the third phase of the third space, and that is reset. And this is the final step when we're getting in, about to move into that second phase. So what are some questions or reflections or things we should be doing to reset so that we're ready to move into this second space? Yeah. So, I mean, as I talked about earlier, it's kind of like as the athlete goes into the competition, they think to themselves, you know, what do I want to focus on? What's my game plan? What's my race plan? And what we found is for the average person, the best questions are, what is my intent? So what do I want to achieve in this space? You know, obviously I literally transitioned into this podcast and, you know, my focus was, what what do I want to achieve? And I, I thought to myself, this is a concept that so many people have come up to me and said it has emotionally affected them or revolutionized their home life. So as I came into this podcast, I'm like, I've got to be focused. I've got to be in the moment. I've got to be animated because I want to, I want these people listening to change how they show up for the people that mean the most to them. So I literally, in my transition, connected to emotion and service and meaning and purpose. So that's my intent. And then what you think about is, well, how do I have to behave to get that intention? So if, if my intention is I want to go home and be a playful dad, you know, what's my behavior? Well, I come in, my gestures are more animated. I'm happy. I'm enthusiastic. Whereas if I'm about to go have a hard conversation with a staff member, I want to be the complete opposite of that. I want to be measured. I want my gestures to be small. I want to be empathetic. And I don't want to go in with this whole story in my head of you did this and this was your intent. 
like the first thing I'm going to say is, hey, we got this feedback from a client. Just give me your perspective about what was going on. Why did that occur? So I want to go in without judgment and empathy. And I'm, I'm visualizing, okay, my intent is I want this person to feel safe. I want them to progress. I want them to evolve. How do I have to behave for that to occur? Okay, so how are you going to show up? And I think you made a good point. I think sometimes when people hear this, they think, okay, well, I want to be a great dad. I want to show up and be enthusiastic, fun, et cetera. You go into your home with that intention from work, but the kids are just crazy. Your wife's upset because they've just been driving her nuts and the house is a mess. And so you have this intention, well, I'm going to be a great dad and be awesome. But then the situation you find yourself in it kind of just crashes against that expectation of what you thought it was going to be like. And so people get really (laughs) frustrated and they get angry. Then their intention that they had in place goes out the window and then they turn into mad dad instead of awesome dad. So the point you made is that you need to have this intention, but don't be too attached to an outcome in that second space. Yeah, Brett, that's a beautiful point. Yeah, we're, obviously we want to visualize and and focus on what we want to achieve, but we've also got to be flexible with it. <laughs> and this happened to me the other day. Uh, I had a great day at work and I transitioned home and I was like, the king of the world has entered the home. You know, I had this huge success. I was on this high and I walk in and my 13-year-old daughter is in a bad mood And as soon as I walk in, she gives me attitude out of the gate and I was just crushed. And what I noticed is I started to like, I wanted to have the argument and the fight and I wanted her to feel bad. So what I noticed is I went in feeling awesome. She made me feel bad and I'm thinking to myself, I want to pay it back. Like I want you to feel bad. So we started getting into this little tit for tat thing and I just went, just don't go down that road. And I said to her, hey, I can just tell you're not in the headspace to have a conversation and I don't want to say something I didn't mean. So, hey, Bells, I love you, but I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm checking out of this conversation and why don't you have some time to yourself? Now, sometimes it doesn't work and I go home and I expect this great interaction and I get a bad one and if I've had a really tough day, I might take it out on them a little bit. And we're not perfect, but what this is about is that Well, in that next interaction, I have to be flexible. So we've talked about this third space. There's the three phases, reflect, rest, and reset. Let's kind of walk through real life examples that men might experience on a daily basis. And you said, I think a lot of guys just bringing work home is something a lot of men struggle with. And I think they'd rather show up better for their family and not bring work home, like the negative energy or the negativity of work home with them. Yeah. So let's say, okay, a guy has a bad day at work. That's the first space. Uh, maybe his boss, you know, reamed him for something. He messed up. A client, you know, canceled an account. And he's got that commute between work and home, home being the second space. What would a, a third space moment look like for this guy in his, during his commute? Yeah. Hey, before I answer that, can we just go back a little piece? Sure. Because, you know, I have a number of presentation topics that I present when I speak at a conference. But when I do this one, the most common group that come up to me, and usually it's at the drinks after or at the conference dinner. So they've had a couple of glasses of wine, which loosens them up a little bit. But a lot of men come up to me and particularly older sort of wise men 
and they come up and go, man, I wish I'd seen that thing 20 years ago. And what they talk about is they said, you know, I'm proud of my success. I'm proud of the money I've earned, you know, what I've achieved. But the most common line I hear is that the people that meant the most to me got the worst version of me. And this is where they start to get emotional and they just go, man, if I just, if I have my time over again, that's the thing I do differently. I just think too often I took the day home, I took it out on, you know, my family or my partner, or even, you know, if they lived on their own, they went home and stewed over it or didn't socialize or didn't connect with people because of their bad day. And this is the thing I hear from men the most is I find it hard to go home and change gears, but when they get it right, it's a, it's a different sport. And, you know, men in particular who don't tend to be emotional send me emails going, man, thanks, thanks for that thing because it really made an impact. So I suppose for the people listening here, this is big stake stuff. Like we don't want to muck around with this because – this is the stuff we worry about later in life. So if you think about that guy, if he's had a really bad day, you know, there's multiple things he can do, depending on what he, if he already has a third space practice. So it could be like when I've had that bad day, I call a friend and I and I, I say to them, hey, I just got to, I've got to do a bit of a dump and I need a debrief and I need a pick me up. And I'll call a mate and they'll empathize and talk to me about it and go, oh, that sucks. And yeah, that happens to me. And I hate it when, you know, this goes on. So that reflect phase is a really empathetic and almost a bit of a, a venting session. And and sometimes after that, like rarely, you know, a, a mate might say, but, you know, what what was good about that or, or was that the only thing that happened in the day? They don't kind of go turn that frown upside down, but they're, they're helpful in that, yeah, but man, you got all this stuff going on, so don't let that bother you too much. So you could connect with a friend, even with your partner. Some days I, you know, I text my wife. I text my wife the other day and it just went, man, I just got some feedback and I thought it was going to be great and it wasn't and I'm crushed and I'm just going to take a little bit longer to come home. Like I'm just going to go for a bit of a walk first. And so she, I've communicated with her and sort of set some expectations. And that day I came home, I tried to transition. I wasn't doing it very well. And, you know, I was taking it out on the kids and she looked at me and said, hey, I'm taking you for a walk. So we did another walk and and we kind of debriefed the day, but she said, hey, you can't show up like that because you, you're being a jerk. Like you can't take that out on the kids. And I went, yeah, you're right. And we went for a walk and we debriefed and had a chat. So, you know, there's various things like that. It could be sometimes I use, you know, a funny podcast, you know, something that makes me laugh on that transition home. You know, that guy could think about, you know, what, what he's grateful for. Or it could be to communicate to your partner, hey, I'm really struggling, so I'm kind of checking out a bit tonight and I'm going to have some interaction, but I just need a bit of introverted time. So do you get what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's much more about looking at, okay, if I've had a really bad day, what am I doing to help myself recover from that? And I might have to lean on other people or, or my partner, 
but that's some of the things they could proactively do. Look, I mean, probably the biggest one in there is do some sort of exercise that burns off all that cortisol and adrenaline that they've accumulated. So they might go, yeah, I'm coming home, but I'm going for a run or I'm going to the gym. There's various things. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So you had to reflect, rest, and then reset and the various different things. It's like, okay, on the commute home, I'm going to reflect, maybe call a friend if it's bad and maybe just kind of vent, do a walk before I, I walk into the home around the yeah. block. And then I'm going to change into my home clothes and be dad now. Yeah. And, and, and we've got to be really realistic about this. This is not some sort of magical wand. Like one thing we know about the third space is it's skill-based. If we practice it and do it, we get better at it and we get better at it really fast. Like we got executives to do this for a month and one of the things we measured was the mood of their home. And what we showed is in a month, they saw a 43% improvement in mood in the home. Like their homes got happier by 43% by these executives, you know, men and women that were in this group. Once they practice it, they got really good at it. But some days you're just not going to be good at it. And sometimes, you know, I go home or actually I had a guy talk to me the other day. He said, bloody hell, I love this concept. He said, just makes me really aware. And he said, I had a really bad day and nothing I did was helping. And he said, I went in the home and all I thought to myself is just minimize the damage. (laughs) Like you're not going to be a good version, but just don't say something stupid or don't, don't be mean. And he said, yeah, I was really quiet and I was a bit surly, but I was just mindful of just don't do too much damage tonight, all right? And even and part of it's a, a stoic thing too, I, I, I believe. And I'm getting much more interested in this sort of stoic movement. And during COVID, you know, when COVID hit in Australia, like my job is I get large groups of people in a room, sit them really close together, <laughs> get them to interact. You know, not a great business model for a pandemic. So when COVID hit and I saw all these, you know, bookings being put on hold, I freaked out, like properly freaked out. I'm thinking, how do I pay my staff? How do I survive? How do I pay the home loan? And I I was a terrible version of myself in the home. But I just kept saying to myself, I know you're not happy, but you just got to suck it up and you've got to be stoic and you've got to be the bigger person. And you just got to not do too much damage right now. And yeah, you're not going to walk in high-fiving people because you're in distress, but it's like you got a bigger role here is you're a dad and you're a husband and you just got to be a bit stoic and accept that you're going through a lot of trauma right now, but you're not going to use it as an excuse to throw the toys out of the cot and, and just be inappropriate in the home. So, yeah, like part of it is also recognizing we're human and, you know, it's not all bells and whistles. So you mentioned COVID, which forced a lot of people to work from home. A lot of people are still working from home and you no longer have a third space. There's no commute. So any advice there that you found useful for people who work from home to make transitions from work mode to home mode? Yeah. And Brett, like I got more emails about this concept during lockdown than ever. And what people said is, gosh, I thought this concept was important when I had a transition. Now I'm working from home. 
it's 10 times more important. Because what we found is when people work from home, particularly people that lived on their own, their work hours blow out and they never shift gears from work to personal. And what happens is they stay in this kind of state where they're consistently doing both. So the same rule applies. Like what's your transition into work? What's your transition out of work? And, you know, it can be as extreme as like one guy said, now I work from home full time. He said, I drive to a coffee shop in the morning. He said, I get a coffee. I drive home. And as I walk through the door, I I reset and go, okay, you're at work now. Like you're actually at work. You're not at home. And I shift into like work mode. And he said, at the end of the day, I don't need more caffeine, but I drive to a park. He said, I put a podcast on and I do a 30-minute walk around the park. I'm active. I'm in nature. I'm listening to something I'm interested in. He said, and then when I transition home, I go, I'm in dad mode or I'm in partner mode. And actually, we had, I had one guy email me. He was a, a quite senior executive. And he said, homeschooling is the most brutal thing I've ever done. And he said the first week of homeschooling, it was just fights, arguments. You know, my sons are getting into fist fights, you know, <laughs> like it's, he said, it's chaos. And he said, I actually thought about your concept. And the next week, and this is pretty extreme, he said, I got the kids up and, and my wife, who also has a really big, powerful role, I said, all right, after we eat breakfast, we're getting dressed for work and you're putting your school uniform on. And the kids are like, what are you doing, dad? And he goes, you just got to do it. And he said, we, we got dressed for work. We walked around the block and he said to the kids, I want you to think about that you're at school right now. And he said, we went in, they did schoolwork online. We, you know, my wife and I went to separate offices. And he said, at the end of the day, we walked around the block and we came back in the house and we're like, okay, now we're a family. Okay. And we got dressed for, you know, when we're at home. And he said, look, obviously because of the reduced hours, my wife and I had to do work of an evening, but he said it totally transformed the interaction. You know, the kids were much more focused. The kids were much more engaged. And he said, we had more control over the situation. So yeah, I mean, COVID has popped up so many funny stories about how people are transitioning, but we, we need the commute. You've got to, you've got to manufacture one and find out what works for you. One thing as I was reading this, I was talking to my wife about this idea of the third space. She's talking about what about the transition from home to vacation and vacation to home? So that's kind of interesting because there, there's a third space there. And, and I think there can be a problem where when you're transitioning from home to vacation or work to vacation, you bring work to the vacation and then like also transitioning back from vacation to regular life. If you're not thoughtful about it, you can have, it can cause some sputters. Have you had any experience with that personally or even just working with uh, people that you've interviewed? The vacation research is really starting to ramp up looking at well, how do you have a vacation where you actually refresh yourself? And what they showed is on vacations, work is the worst thing you can possibly do. Like when you work, you reduce your recovery of that break dramatically. So even if it's a couple of emails, it still brings you out of that relaxed state. So if work is going to creep up or if you know there's things you've got to do on your vacation, you're better off chunking them into like the start or towards the end of it where you know, hey, I'm going to insert these things to so just that it's not spluttered throughout. So 
In terms of vacations, definitely do that. In terms of transitioning in and out of a vacation, yeah, that's super interesting. We don't have a lot of research that we've done on that, but what we know is just trying to mentally prepare yourself for the vacation. And one thing that has come up is people who say, yeah, I practice the third space every day. They said to us, my vacations are more restorative. And what they talked about is, of course, I've practiced turning off from work at the end of the day. I'm just better at doing that when I stop work and I go on the holiday. So it's, it's, yeah, you you beautifully pointed it out. The same rule applies. Like, how am I going to transition into this holiday? And also, how am I going to prepare myself for the the come down and the sadness about transitioning back into work? And this is something we've got to think about and look at how do we do this more effectively? And I like how you said that this idea of creating third spaces for yourself, this is a skill that you have to practice. This isn't something that you can just implement you know, starting tomorrow and you're going to be awesome at it, you could see improvements right away, but you're going to have lots of setbacks along the way. And you just have to remind yourself, Mm -hmm. this is a skill that I'm practicing. I'm going to get better the more I do it. And then the more I do it, I can apply it not only to work and family life, but also vacations and transitions that we have in other parts of our lives as well. Yeah. And, and just to give you an example of that, you know, uh, recently, not, not recently, this is a few years ago, we found out someone was kind of ripping us off a little bit. So I had to have a very hard conversation with a group who was doing something wrong and I had to bring it up and I had to talk, like you talk about hard conversations, this is one of the hardest I've ever done. And it was my turn to pick up the kids, so I went and picked up the kids. My wife came home from work much later on. And she walked in and went, oh, man, I thought I was going to find like this (laughs) angry tyrant after the conversation you'd had because, you know, like I know that was going to take a lot from you. And she said, I just can't believe how like chilled out you are. And I said, well, you know, I've been practicing this thing for a long time. Like I've got good at it. And that was when I kind of went, oh, yeah, this is skill-based and this is something that we can get better at. So, you know, even in an extreme example like that, what I found is it was very effective to not let me really take out that difficult, frustrating interaction on my family life. Well, Adam, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Well, dradamfraser.com is in dr adamfraser.com is my website. That's probably the best site to go to. Yeah, there we have lots of information, lots of articles, reports on our research, as well as the book and, you know, some videos about this concept. But yeah, I mean, feel free to reach out. This is something I'm incredibly passionate about. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And this conversation actually has reminded me of how much I love this concept, how much, how important it is. And, you know, how kind of lucky I was to stumble across a few interactions that pointed me in this direction of research. Well, Dr. Adam Frazier, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Brett. My guest today is Dr. Adam Frazier. He's the author of the book, The Third Space. You can learn more information about his work and the book at his website, dradamfraser.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash third space, where you find links to resources where we can delve deeper into this topic.
Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles that we've written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. And until next time, it's Brett McKay reminding you to listen to the AOM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action. <laughs>